Um, Rudy, are you happy? Happy that the season's over or sad that the season is over? I'm neither. I'm thank God the season is over. <laughs> <laughs> I think you speak for many 49er faithful. Absolutely. And before we get started, Raymond, on our final, final, final recap of this season for the 49ers, the 2020 season, the man, one of the worst seasons in 49er history, one of the biggest letdowns ever. Why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can always follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere that podcasts are syndicated, we can be found there at the gold. Well, not at, but I mean, the gold cast is the moniker. I mean, that's where we're at. We're at the gold cast. We're at there. So so like us there. <laughs> subscribe to us there. Comment us there. If you're on the YouTube, make sure to hit the little notification bell. That way you get notified live real time when we go onto the interwebs on the line, as we like to say. <laughs> And if you are on the YouTubers, make sure to also comment because that feeds the algorithm of that platform. And if you're on Instagram and Twitter, feel free to give us a shout out. We're always around and we do have do love to interact with all of our fans. You guys are what make the show possible. Absolutely. If you are not watching us on Instagram, if you're not seeing all of the logos for our podcast rivals. If you're not seeing all of the gifts for our highlights of the game, you are really missing out. Not You're not just missing out. You're missing out on life. You're missing out on life, on Bay Area sports life. This is what you're missing out on. Yeah. So and that's sure. a nice way to put it. You know, I when I think of, if you're not watching a show, the words ignorant comes to mind. <laughs> Naive comes to mind. Uh, no, I, I, I kid, I kid, I kid. Right. No, seriously, watch, watch the damn show. <laughs> watch the damn show. All right, here we go. Uh, final recap episode of this year. I mean, obviously, we'll be back at the end of 2021 to begin the 2021 season, but this is the final recap for the 2020 season. And uh, then, of course, we're going to end with we can't, we can't uh bury the lead. Steph Curry's 60 two-point win game. Let's go, Warriors! Steph Curry is back. He is back, and he's looking really good and uh, putting this team on his back. So we're going to talk about that historic night last night and, uh, and and you know just have a general discussion about the Warriors as we start to begin to transition into a more Warriors-centric time of the year. All right, folks, here we go. The greatest podcast intro in the game is about to drop. Your professor of fanalism, I'm in the building. The greatest fanalist in the game, he's here too. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. All right. 
We're back, folks. This is it. This is the final recap, the final 49ers recap of the 2020 season. And there's always like a, a little sense of sadness as we do this, especially when it's been a bad year. If it's been a great year, then we're just, oh, man, we're revving up for the playoffs and we're about to go. We're, let's wrap this up and let's get back, get to the real battle. But unfortunately, that was not the case this year. This was supposed to be the revenge season, Ray. This was supposed to be the season where the Niners go back and finally close the deal after two trips. Two trips. Poor Bill Walsh is turning in his grave. Never did he ever think in his in his wildest dreams that he would that there would be a common day where the Niners would actually lose Super Bowls. And we thought that 2020 was going to be the year that we actually closed the deal. That we actually finished what we started all the way back, in my opinion, all the way back in 2012 with the Harbaugh era and that squad. But unfortunately, that was not the case. It turned out this team ended up becoming the most injured team in the league. And now this becomes, according to one statistic I saw on Twitter, this now becomes the fifth 10-loss season out of six. Out of the last six years, five of them have ended with 10 or more losses. Only the Jaguars and the Giants, according to the stats I saw on Twitter, have just as bad uh, losses. Pretty Rough, rough. This revenge season just became a I don't even know. What do you what do you what do you what would you what would you call instead of the revenge season, what what do you, what do you call this, Ray? What's the what's the term for this? More like the biggest backfire? The backfire season? The backfire season, the the I don't know, the 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 most like you know, it's like that Lemony Snicket book series of unfortunate events. It's like that whole that whole concept of series of unfortunate events just like completely engulfed the 49ers season and just swallowed it up, you know, week after week after week. There was never yeah. a week where someone was not hurt. It was a weird, contagious thing that just took over this team health-wise, and the Niners just did not have an answer to any of it. And... What's what's kind of mind-boggling too is that I, you know the coaches were just as I think you know taken aback by the health of this team this year just as much as the fans were. You know this is coming off of a you know a couple seasons where you have a new staff that's supposed to alleviate this kind of thing, and then it gets even worse than than when you fired than the previous staff that got fired. So it's it's like, you know, there there is no answer. I mean, John Lynch theorized in, in the end of the season press conference that, you know, he thinks that, you know, some guys who, you know, didn't have proper off seasons were coming off of surgery and that they, you know, just bad timing with everything. It just didn't work out. But it's like, yeah, but how do you account for like the thirty other guys that that got injured too? Uh, so it's like, you know, it, when, whenever they got guys back, they were trading other guys in. So it was just a constant cycle. And there was just way more guys going out than coming back to the roster. And, and I don't get some of them are familiar names, meaning players that have been down this road. And that's something you have to look at. I don't know if you just blame the strength and conditioning staff, because at some point, you know, there's got to be some accountability for how these players are taking care of their bodies. And I'm not saying that people, that they're not doing it, but you know, the, the, this wasn't, this wasn't exclusive to us. Every team this year seemed to have 
a little bit more bang ups and hang ups than usual. And some of that can be attributed to the lack of, uh, you know, a, a proper off season program where you get all of these guys fresh and prepared and get their bodies ready for the rigors of an NFL season. But at the same time, the 49ers seem to just, you know, uh, unwillingly volunteer for the entire NFL that, Hey, we'll, we'll go through the crash test. Uh, of of this COVID season for you guys. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Everybody relax. We're going to be the most injured team. Don't worry about it. We will take all, we will take all the injuries so you don't have to. Yeah, and it's like yeah, they sure they played it. They played in, They played more games than anybody else. But so did the Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't seem to skip a beat. Um, in fact, they got better. They're uh, they ended ended the season what fourteen and two, better than they were last year. That's right, exactly where I thought the Niners were. Barring injury, and then the one thing that uh, that that could derail them actually came, and it came in full force. Came, in, you know, it's like it's 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 like a the perfect storm of injuries. You know, I don't know what you call this one. They seem to name, you know, storms seem to have very innocent names, ironic names to them. That like children's names. <laughs> yeah, Henry Vaughn's is right. It should be like some curse, some really bad curse word is what you should name a storm. You know, and that's probably what something you'd fall. I don't know what you call the Niners storm, but it uh, it uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't faithful, or I should say, it was faithful, but just in the wrong way. It was certainly very, very brutal. This, this, yeah. I mean, honestly, I I'm gonna say probably the most disappointing season since. Man, I'm gonna say maybe since. The season after the Niners won their fifth Super Bowl, or after they won their first, that eighty-two wins, the eighty-two season where they only won like three games after winning the Super Bowl, after defeating the Dallas Cowboys, and the catch to come back that dismal, this is a dark season no one ever talks about. It's the nineteen eighty-two season, or the nineteen ninety-five ninety-six season after Steve Young's Super Bowl. Both those seasons ending in huge disappointment. Like, what on earth happened? I would say as far as win totals, this season mirrors the 82-83 season a lot more. But, oh, boy, as far as just disappointment, I mean, I thought the Niners were a surefire step, uh, surefire to go back after the Steve Young season and then just too many roster changes, and it really hurt it. And we had the same thing, roster changes, but just in the form of a team that uh, could not stay healthy. You mentioned this right. in the last episode. This there, was, there, I mean, the, I mean, to be fair, the Steve Young team in 1995 was only one game worse than the 12-4 and 4 team that won the championship. So it's, it's not like they were, you know, like I said, that, you know, your, to your point, the 82 season or the, the 82 season where they were three and whatever, you know, that's pretty bad. To me, I think this is the worst season. This, this season feels worse than Kyle Shanahan's worst season, which this is not, at least in terms of win-loss record. It is not. He was 6-10 and 10 before the Super Bowl, and now he's 6-10 and 10 after the Super Bowl. Um, but the year before that, what was he like two and fourteen? Yeah, he swept the Rams. I think that was all he did. Um, that that was worse. That was worse than that season. That was worse than the Chip Kelly season, where Chip Kelly oh, oh, swept the Rams in that year. This feels worse than that, um, despite the fact that they won six games. It's just the manner in which they lost those games and 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 fell victim to the season. It's almost like the season kind of gave you a, a glimmer of hope like it just gave you like this tiny little piece of hope and then every time you wanted to refer to that hope 
kept spitting on it and kicking it and stepping on it and putting salt on it and and rubbing rubbing lemon lemon on open wounds and and then pouring salt on that it, it would it would put up a sign that said hope and it was on the middle of a dirt road in a desert and then when you walked over to it a coyote dropped an anvil on top of you and yes then, and then you had to go spend time on the ir because you couldn't play the game correct that's exact and that's what coyotes do out there <laughs> that's uh, what coyotes do oddly out enough <laughs> <laughs> what wiley coyote <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it was real tough it was real tough to watch this entire season go down a series of frustrating events you had jimmy g in and out of the lineup in the first uh first half of the season clearly not himself played some pretty decent games and uh outside of kind of a misstep kind of odd first game which i mean everyone was throwing up their arms and saying oh jimmy g's got happy feet he's da 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 he settled in pretty well after that but then couldn't stay well couldn't stay in the lineup long enough to really see an evolution or a de-evolution of what we saw from 2019 and then it was just a cascade right d ford never even played Sherman came back for a brief time, was out, you know, made impacts immediately, but again, never could quite acclimate the way we wanted him to and had to be pulled out again. Uh, Nick Bosa going down, easily the the roughest injury that we had uh, that really, really affected us. Most are, you know, in and out of the lineup, gone for most of the season, another big one. Debo Samuels out for most of the season. Jalen Hurd never even gets a chance to step on the field. Ayuk, great, but then we lose him at the end. Trent Williams, same thing, uh, which we'll get into when we talk a little bit about the Seahawks game. I said they'll take a look at that left side of the field, and oh boy, I hope you didn't look too hard because it was sack after sack after pressure after pressure coming from that left side, which we knew was coming. Um, but it was uh, just in general, a uh, like you said, there wasn't a single time this entire season where the starting lineups ever were on the field at the same time. And sure, we can blame... You know, we could talk about the 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 lack of a proper offseason program, but it didn't seem to affect the Packers as bad. It didn't seem to affect the Chiefs as bad. This injury bug has persisted with the 49ers since the 2014 final season of Jim Harbaugh. This has persisted. We were the we were the least injury prone season from 2011 through 2013. We we're the least injury prone team. I'm sorry, least injury prone team. For those two seasons, three seasons, and then 2014, the injury bug reared its ugly head, and it just went all the way through to now. Um, just been, and the real question is, how do we stop this? How do we solve this? I don't think there's any clear answers. I don't know if it's as simple as uh, maybe, maybe it's just bad luck. Maybe just statistically, the numbers are not on our side, and it'll all fix itself before we know it come next year. Well, I thought that in 2019. And clearly it didn't happen here. You know, but when does this end? Is it as easy as firing the strength and conditioning coach, Raymond? I don't know. Is someone's head going to roll this season? I don't know. But all I do know is that uh, five out of six seasons, ten losses, and I've read that's, I've read this other statistic too, one of the most injured teams in the league for the last five or six straight years. There's a correlation between, between player health and... And ability to succeed, and that's a real thing. And again, going even back to Jimmy G, this is something we talked about all season. If Jimmy G can't stay healthy enough to play consistently, what do we have? It's not about. It's never been about Jimmy G's talent for me. It's not about Jimmy G's dedication. It's about Jimmy G's ability to handle the violence of football. And it doesn't seem like he's able to consistently. We've only gotten out of the three seasons he's played. We've only gotten one full season out of this guy. 
And dating all the way back to the Patriots, he's rarely been able to fulfill the amount of seasons laid in front of him. Um, so there's a lot of questions that need to be answered in this offseason, and particularly, obviously, this injury bug. Uh, Jimmy, The status of Jimmy G, I believe he's going to stay. That's a conversation for another episode. But um, just kind of our mini season in review right here. This was a, uh, this was a tough one. This was a real tough one, and uh, one that um, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to get rid of, and I hope I want to see Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have the consistency of the New England Patriots, have the consistency of the Kansas City Chiefs, have the consistency of, let's say, the Steelers for the last 10 years, right? Even the Packers, who, regardless of whether or not how many times we've blown them out in the playoffs, have consistently been in the mix. The the Seattle Seahawks, a team we're about to talk about right now, consistently in the mix. I just want to see the 49ers healthy and capable and being in the mix year in, year out. I don't need to go to the NFC Championship or the Super Bowl every year, but I want to go to the playoffs five or six straight years. I don't think that's asking too much when you've got the best play caller in the game and an excellent GM and a front office that is capable of drafting really talented players, much better than the players Balky had. And this is a coach that's better than Jim Harbaugh. This is a, a, a general manager that's better than Balky. You know, this is a defensive coordinator that is really good. Who knows if he stays? We'll talk about that in the weeks to come and in the episodes to come. But the, the infrastructure to have a consistency like a Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs, Pittsburgh Steelers, the, consi- the, the infrastructure is here. I just need to see it produced on the field, and everyone does. And I know that as frustrated as we are, nobody is more frustrated than John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, Jed York. Nobody is more frustrated than them. Nobody from the players is more frustrated than Jimmy G. I know that. I know that this eats at them. Ten times more than eats at us, but it eats at us pretty bad, you know, because we're the diehards. We're here every season, whether it's good, whether win or lose, we are here. So we, we, we produce the gold cast. Raymond, you got a boot on your foot. You're playing injured too, buddy. And win or lose, we produce a show in and out. So we, it hurts us. Uh, it hurts us as deep as it could possibly hurt a fan. I'll say that. And so whatever the level 10 is for Jimmy G, Jed York, uh, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, it's a level 10 for the gold cast. It's a level 10 for fans like us who are here every year, every game, and have been here for 40, almost 40 straight years. It's, it hurts us. So it, it's hard, you know. Um, all right. Well, let's get into this game, Raymond. Let's get into this recap. Uh, now we've gotten through our little kind of our little season, flushing out the season rant right there. Um, this was a game that, the Niners started strong, surprisingly, really strong. I was uh, I was very excited. They looked like to be one of those classic, uh, those classic games where, where it's division on division. We are here to play spoiler. The Seahawks, despite their eleven and four record, don't as per the usual. There are chips in the armor, and this team has, since 2015, has not been able to get past the wild card. They win the wild card, and that's as far as they go. They usually lose in the division. I don't think they've been back to an NFC championship since the since their second retur- second uh, trip to the Super Bowl. So this looked like an opportunity for the Niners to play spoiler, and we were both very pessimistic about it. But midway through the game, it really was looking like, man, the Niners are going to be able, might might pull this off. Unfortunately. It did not come to that. Uh, it, we lost in a, a, a bit of a nail biter. Um, you know, we were we, we were up we were up nine to nine to six in the third quarter, 
and then uh, put a couple touchdowns up, but then the, the Seahawks were able to pull away. Final score, 26-23 in favor of the Seahawks. And I want to start with you. What did you see in uh, in this game? Uh, what, 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 how did, what did you feel really was the reason we lost our final game of the 2020 season? I thought this really just came down to quarterback play. That was the main impetus for, for me during my watch or listen of the game. Um, just because, uh, or no, I did watch the game. Sorry, I've been working a lot. But um, the uh, I felt like CJ was doing a lot of Colin Kaepernick habits, which is, you know, sticking to one read, um, looking at your one, you know, eyeing down, telegraphing your throws, um, missing throws too. I mean, this is just, and it's it's not. I'm not trying to harp on C.J. Beathard, but this is the difference between a quarterback who gets you know week one or sorry first team reps on a weekly basis versus someone who's only having their second start of the season. Um, there's a clear difference in polish. I mean, and sure, C.J. prepares like he's going to start because that's what every backup is supposed to do in the National Football League. But there is a difference between you know, getting the lion's share of, you know, hard, hard, intense reps that actually pertain to the playbook and the game plan that's going to go into the, you know, the opponent that week. That's not what backups get, you know, in, in the practice time. But but as a starter, that you get all of that. And so CJ's only, that's this is only the second time he's gotten that this whole season. So you can see the lack of polish. He's actually played better in previous games. And it wasn't until like the last, you know, meaningless two possessions where CJ kind of started to feel the pressure and play with, uh, with a, a better sense of urgency. And he started hitting throws, but he, they were also getting the ball out quicker. They were doing no huddle, which I thought they should have done the possession before that, before it became too little too late. Um, but at the same time, C.J. Beathard, there was that big deep route that he threw to George Kittle. It actually hit George Kittle's hands and looked like a combination of just like C.J. going with his primary read, which is George Kittle, which is, by the way, is not a not a bad target to you know feed into if that's you're going to feed into. But at the same time, he had a wide open dwelly on the left hand side of the field. They both ran similar routes. He threw to he threw to George Kittle. George Kittle, it hit him in the hands. It got slightly tipped, but it also hit George in the hands, and he couldn't come down with it. And then he missed Ross Dwelly on a wide-open route that could have easily gone in for a touchdown. Ross Dwelly has enough speed that he probably would have gotten to, into the end zone there. Then, in another possession, late in the game, because no touchdowns were scored until the fourth quarter of this contest, uh, they uh, C.J. Beathard misses George Kittle wide open in the end zone. He's the number one target all game long. And on the one play where you, when you really want to get him the ball, no matter what, he goes uncovered in the end zone and CJ misses him and goes for the underneath route instead. And, and CJ knew it too. He had the reaction, uh, you know, when he was grab, you know, hands on the head, like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. Cause he saw it. He saw it after it was too late. So again, you have, a, a difference of that's a what is that that's a um, uh, 11 points 11 point swing that you would have had there had you made those throws instead they ended up with a field goal 
on that missed opportunity to George Kittle. And those, to me, those are the big differences in the game. It's CJ missing some key throws down the stretch when the game got close. And you really can't, even though this is a top five defense, this is a top five defense that is just, has got some holes in it. And I thought that Seattle played it smart in their final possessions. Once Seattle's back was against the ropes, then Pete Carroll did, I think, a smart move. He went to a no-huddle offense that was not going to give the defense any time to reset, and he allowed that allowed them to drive down the field with relative ease. And I thought they had him, too, at, at, the, at, the, at the very end there because they're pretty stout in the red zone. But then on that fourth down call, um, Akella Witherspoon got burned by Tyler Lockett and got the got the nice fade pass from Russell Wilson and was able to get the big score that put the game away. The score after that was meaningless. So to me, that's when it really came down to. I thought the defense played terrific football. The offense, uh, you know, was very inconsistent. They were 6-4-15 on third down. That's a 40% conversion rate, which is better because because uh, up until that up until that point up until the third and fourth quarter they were actually horrible on third down so it actually got marginally better in the fourth quarter but again that was with the pressure on them Seattle was actually worse they were four for twelve um, on third down conversion so they actually fared worse than us I thought just the the defense was just outstanding and you know if there was any if Sala needed any more peppering to his potential head coach candidacy. This was a terrific game to showcase that because you really can't blame the defense for their effort in this game. I thought they played great. Jason Verrett and Fred Warner led the team in tackles this past Sunday. They both had both had eight apiece. Um, I thought Dante Johnson, the younger cornerback, not the Dante Johnson that Trent Balky picked, a different Dante Johnson with the same name, different number. I thought he played terrific. He had a sack uh, on Russell Wilson. Fred Warner had a sack on Russell Wilson. None of the defensive linemen were able to get any pressure on him because it's just every time every time they would collapse the pocket, Russell Wilson just would do such a good job of getting out of that containment either to make a pass downfield or to just pick up extra yardage with his feet. And it was just nothing that DJ Jones or Eric Armstead or Kerry Hyder could do to, to stop that. Although they made a great effort. I thought I still thought that Eric Armstead had a pretty strong game. He had a couple of batted balls down at key moments, which was great for him. And he applied pressure to disrupt plays, even though that doesn't show up on the stat sheet per se. It's not as flashy as a sack. Eric Armstead did was able to cause disruption during this game that I thought he played very well. But again, this really came down to offense. Uh, the running game I thought was pretty good, but, uh, but C.J. Beathard just missed some big throws that really kind of kept us out of really kind of putting pressure on on winning this game we had the lead it was nice to have that lead but it was too small of a lead for a player like russell wilson you you really needed we needed a two possession lead and that would have happened had he made some of those throws and in particular the the george kittle one where he was in the red zone george kittle was wide open he hits that throw that that puts more pressure on seattle because now you got to get two possessions to win that um so, um, but leaving a one possession game with Russell Wilson against this, against a team that's as banged up as the 49ers, to me, it was like a no brainer. I was like, and, and dad, our unofficial third member of the Goldcast called it. He's like, this is, this is too much money. You, you leave, you leave, 
too too much time on the clock. This is you, you leave that kind of time on the clock for Seattle, they're going to beat you every time. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I thought that our, my prediction of them losing was actually going to blow up in my face, and I was going to be happy to come back on the show and talk about you know a victory that 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 I got wrong. But sure enough, uh, Seattle did what Seattle's been doing the last few years, which is just having a key comeback from Russell, Russell Wilson because that defense is trash. <laughs> um, and even though they've been playing good the past few weeks, they've been playing, you know, pretty subpar opponents in terms of offense. So I, 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 I to me, they're not going to last long in the playoffs anyway. So that's the good news. But uh, they still managed to get one over on us. They did. And it, I agree with you. It doesn't really matter because they will be out within. They'll they'll do what they normally do. They'll probably get past the wild card, but see you in the divisional round. That's their favorite place to leave. They don't like anything past the divisional round. Raymond, who gets your cold shower? Man, I'm gonna have to give it to C.J. Beathard, um, just because he made he just he made he made the most glaring bonehead misses in this game, and it was to me it was very akin to Colin Kaepernick. The big difference, though, is that Kaepernick did that while getting first team practice reps week in and week out and he was playing like that cj bethard is just still a very young quarterback and just had only his second start this season and he was kind of thrust into there because of injury and plus you're getting thrust into there with a half a team so just really dire circumstances that went against him along with everything else that's been going against this team but at the same time you had the best, you know, outside of Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the National Football League, and you missed him wide open in the end zone, can't do that. Can't do that. So, to me, that's a cold shower for CJ. Uh, since you gave it to him, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna, I'm going to give it to the left side of the line, but you, Trent Williams is out. I mean, like, what do you expect? I'm not going <laughs> yeah, to pick on the left side. They, they really... They really got eaten up. We said they were going to get eaten up, and they did. And uh, it was some really, uh, some really key key plays like that fumble um, from CJ Beathard all came from that left side. We knew that that was going to be a real big point of contention, and it was. So, well, Raymond, well, obviously we're not done covering the Niners. We're now going to begin going into the draft. We're going to be covering what players we retain, what players we let go. Obviously, Robert Salah, what's going to happen with his future, who's going to be our new defensive coordinator if there is one. And, of course, the most heartbreaking news for everyone at the Goldcast, the the very big possibility that Adam Peters, our VP of scouting, will be leaving for a GM job. Can't be happier than for him. He deserves it. He's helped orchestrate three Super Bowl teams in the last eight years. That's incredible. And he's been right there at the centerpiece of all three of them, the two in Denver and the one right here in San Francisco. And uh, so you can't fault him for that. But I've also said this is a great opportunity, right? This is an opportunity for someone to step up. Maybe the head of ca- maybe the head of scouting for Kansas City. Maybe the head of scouting for Pittsburgh. Maybe the head of scouting for I, I don't know you know put in your good team, but this is their you know and maybe maybe someone comes up from within that we don't already know about that ha- that that we moves up, but this also could be the opportunity that we poach somebody real big from one of the other big guns. So this may not be a bad thing. Adams Peters is clearly Adam Peters is clearly one of the most talented scouts in the league help orchestrate and put together a phenomenal team here in San Francisco. We wish him nothing but the best if he leaves. But the opportunity to grab one of these other big cons from one of these other other 
uh, teams is also enticing to me. One of these other Super Bowl contenders. I would love, if Adam Peters is leaving, I want to grab one of these guys, one of the head of scouting from these other programs and promote them to VP. So there's still obviously a lot that we're going to be covering, but of course we are going to be transitioning into our Warriors season, a frisky Warriors. Let's talk, Raymond. Let's move it over now. Time to switch over. Oh, I can't wait for this background. Boom. Been dying to do this. Let's uh, switch over to the Warriors and our boy Steph Curry. Yep, yep, that was it. That was the that was the that was the one. Sixty-two points, putting this team on his back. What a tremendous game! I was watching the Eagles Washington game, and I started to get bored. I saw that the 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 Warriors game was nationally televised. I put it on. I'm getting. I mean, what'd you expect with the Eagles? Right, right. Yeah, tanking away the game. Even if they weren't tanking, absolutely. <laughs> so I moved over to watch uh, uh, Warriors and Portland. I keep wanting to call them the San Francisco Warriors all the time. It's okay. You can do that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was a great, great game. But we also saw. We also saw a lot of other players stepping up. Uh, Wiggins finally putting it down, putting in 21 points. Kelly Oubre getting like his first three of the season. I mean, he's kind of been a big disappointment thus far. Wiseman continuing to do Wiseman threes, uh, Wiseman things. 11 rebounds, one assist, two blocks. I mean, he was fantastic. Put up 12 points himself. But Steph Curry, let's not bury this lead. Steph Curry, 62 points. In 36 minutes, he was 18 of 31, 8 from 16 behind the arc. Just an incredible. 50%. That's that's where that's Steph Curry territory. That is where he is. And most of those three were coming on later in the game. Most of these, most of these points were being done at the free throw line and from two pointers. And we, you know, this is a lot of people were like, oh, you know, this team's in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And You've seen, I feel like you've seen Steph playing pretty consistently. You know, it, it's taken him a little while to get in the rhythm of some of his games. It's taken him longer than others. But I feel he's been a lot more consistent than some of the pundits have claimed, some of the outside of Bay Area pundits. I think a lot of people within the Bay Area have been pretty impressed with his overall play, given his injury history from last year. But Steph Curry comes in and really puts it down, surpassing his boy Clay, which was great. And uh, Clay, Clay was good natured about it, and really putting his, the team on the ba on his back. Now, obviously, Raymond, this is not sustainable. He can't do this for the entire season. But you are seeing that that's the kind of game that wakes these players up. And I'm just really hoping that we start to get more offense from these guys. Draymond Green being back in the lineup was huge as well. And this was just kind of one of those statement wins: one thirty-seven to one thirty-two against the Portland Trailblazers in favor of the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State. San Francisco Warriors. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Ray, what did you think after a history, historic night, history in the making, a huge game from Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors getting the win? I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was, you know, it's like, uh, you, you know that's going to happen. You know, and Steph played fine, you know, in the preceding games. It wasn't like bad Steph. I thought those games were fine. It's just this was kind of the big breakout game that we were looking for, but we didn't expect it to come in, in historic fashion. So now he enters an elite. You know, only, I think, what, Rick Barry, Wilt Chamberlain, and Clay Thompson, the only other Warriors that have scored this type of uh, offensive output. So puts them in a very exclusive category. And the other thing, too, is, you know, I thought that the combination of 
Steph playing Steph a Steph game and also having Draymond Green back in the lineup. So you have two of your big three back in the lineup, one who's an offensive juggernaut, one who happens to be a defensive juggernaut. So I think that really allowed Steve Kerr to do to be to mix in the lineups that he sees going forward and to kind of see what pieces work where. This kind of helps him kind of a game like this and even tonight the 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 contest they won against the Kings which they won by like 33 points. So oh, over third step didn't even play in the fourth quarter. They beat the Kings so badly. It's, it was very much a, a very vintage Warriors win where they're so good and they're up by so many points that you can just have the second unit play the entire fourth quarter without breaking a sweat. I mean, the Kings just gave up. They never made a run at all in this game. But, uh, but this, is, this is the type of momentum that gives Steve Kerr the... This, this is what gives him the fuel to kind of iron out that second unit and start to build the chemistry in this team to start to, you know, because once you get the chemistry going, then these guys are going to start gelling, and then you might have something. I mean, there's still pundits in this league that picture this team as a sixth seed in the West, and I think that's very plausible, uh, especially with the, the youth they have now. But to me, I think one of the biggest reasons is what's keeping – the optimism for that is Wiseman, I think, because Wiseman, 19 years old, playing outstanding basketball for a 19-year-old coming into this this scenario where you do have two all-stars, yes, indeed, but at the same time, you've got a bunch of patchwork players that have not fallen into their ultimate role on this team. So for him to come up in the lineup and just jump right in there and just look like a pro, I mean, that's saying... To me, that's a big, big, that's going to be a big anchor for Steve Kerr to lean on as he irons out the rest of this roster. So for him to be working out as well as he has in this first seven games, I think that's huge going forward. I think that's going to really help help the rest of these guys fall into place. And Steve Kerr will know what to do. You know, Steve Kerr's never been in this predicament, you know, with this Warriors team. I mean, last year it was more injury-related. This year is a little bit of injury, but also just a bunch of new faces, too, and how to figure out where they fit into this scheme. You know, are you going to run the same offense? Do- doesn't seem like you can do that. But the thing is, you got to get the twos in there. What makes Steph so deadly is like, yeah, he's going to kill you with eight out of 16 threes, but he's also going to drive to the basket, make mid-range shots, and also dr- and, and get live and die on the line, too. He's 18 for 19 at the free throw line. He's one of the best free throw shooters in the entire association. He reminds me of Steve Nash. Steve Nash was nails at the line. I think he was a 90% uh, shooter at the line. So, and, and, and uh, Curry's right there with him. So I think that that when, when he has a type of game like that, where he's going to get you in the mid range, he's going to get you on the line and he's going to get you at the arc. Then that's just going to open up so many other opportunities for the rest of these players, in particular, the second unit, if they're playing with the lead, like they were tonight, um, so Steph Curry did some very Steph Curry thing. He almost had a triple double. If he'd have played in the fourth quarter, he probably would have got a triple double. But you know it wasn't necessary because they had a good lead, and the role players came in there and started dropping threes in the fourth quarter to keep keep the keep the score away from the Kings. And the Kings aren't a good team. But the thing is, if you lose to the shitty teams, then that's really bad. You know that's not a good thing. Uh, you know for 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 whoever's team it is. It doesn't have to be the Warriors. You know it could be. Any any team in the association, but if you lose to the bad teams, then you must be really bad. But the fact that we were hanging in it, we were able to bounce back against the Blazers, 
and we're able to stick it to the Kings, um, that's good momentum going forward because basketball, like baseball, is a streaky sport. And so this is a good turnaround right now. We're over 500. Hey, four and three. So that's good news going forward for this team. I'm very curious and very excited to see because I also think Pascal's another player that you can just have some really defensive juggernauts on this team between Draymond, Pascal, and Wiseman. You've got three. I mean, like, remember they, remember they used to call them the three wise men on, on the, the championship Warriors team. Well, you have you have a guy that's good enough to just be one. You have just one wise man right now. One wise man who's pretty darn good by himself. Doesn't seem to need uh, the two other guys to make a three. He's a pretty good solo wise man so far, and, and and he's got he's got a he's showing ability in both the offense and defense side of the court. So that's really promising going forward. So I think I think the season's going to be a lot better than people think, and and I think we just need to give it time because it is basketball. Basketball requires time, like baseball. It's a long season, and so there. Th- that's the good news: is that there's going to be enough time here for this squad to develop if they're able to capitalize and build off this momentum. Yes, of course. And the only the only big question we have, obviously, is can some will will the team will the rest of these guys begin to really step up and begin to offensively balance out Steph Curry and that's really the question long term or is there a midseason trade that's coming is there something happening that that we haven't seen yet is there a trade that's possibly going to be in the works that helps spark the offense but the defense of this team is uh really has the opportunity to, to really put itself together so I'm pretty excited obviously we're going to start covering the Warriors much more intensely as we head through their season. Candlestick Will will be rejoining us, joining us back. Of course, offseason means gold dives. We're going to be bringing back one or two of the classic gold dives because we've never had the opportunity to do them on video. So you will you will see some gold dives revisited, some brand new gold dives. We've gotten some requests on YouTube for specific gold dives. We will be doing those. And, of course, we're going to be doing Warriors gold dives, Giants gold dives, 49er gold dives. If you're not familiar as to what those are, they're just deep dives into the uh, some of the most historic games ever played by our three Bay Area teams, the 49ers, the Warriors, and the Giants. And so they're really fun. They're, uh, they're fun listens, and I think they're going to be even more fun to do them visually uh, on our video podcast on YouTube. So check that stuff out. If you're not already a subscriber, please like and comment and subscribe right down below on the YouTube channel right here, youtube.com slash the gold cast. All right, Raymond, we will be back on Thursday. We're obviously going to be talking playoff football. I am in a eliminator, lim- an eliminator pool league, Ray, and you are going to help me make my picks so that we can win this money, Ray. So we're going to play a game on the gold cast, which will be really fun. I'm in an actual eliminator league. So you have to pick one team for every week is your team. But if you pick them once, they're off your they're off your list forever. So you got to be very careful. You kind of want your who you think is going to go to the Super Bowl and win that thing, you want them last. So obviously because if you don't have anybody in the Super Bowl, you're out. So anyways, it should be a lot of fun, and you're going to help me make some picks here uh, as we go through the season. All right, and— Well, well going, going back to your comment of if, if the Warriors are a midseason trade, you know, the only the only thing that I um, I only see that happening if the Warriors start to really struggle, because if they start to struggle and they're not getting chemistry out of one or more players, then something like that does. I think that comes into play where you kind of want to pull some of those guys out, 
bring a fresh body in there and see if that can help spark, you know, the hole that's happening at that point. But if this team starts to gel and if these guys start to gain confidence, because games like this are going to be, you know, like the famous line in the matrix when they're saying like, you know, what's going on with Neo and Morpheus says he's beginning to believe, you know, if they start to, if they start to gain confidence from games like this, they will start to believe in themselves more and that will start to carry over in the, the following games. But, um, but if they're not able to do that and, you know, they start to falter or, you know, they, they're not hitting shots and it's just like, you're just not getting anything out of the second unit, you know, then something, then you got to shake things up. A trade is always a good maneuver to, you know, shake things up when they're not working. But if things are working, then I don't see something like that happen. I see Steve Kerr kind of uh, digging into that group and just really kind of ironing them out, you know, because the, the, the Warriors didn't do a whole lot of that when they were doing the championship runs because everything was working so well. Um, if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it if it ain't broke. So that's that's what I see. So when you mentioned the trade, I'm like, hmm. You know, could that happen? I was like, mm, if they're struggling, yeah. If they're if they're cooking, then I think you stick with the the ingredients that are already in the pot. Possibly, possibly. I don't want to keep this. I don't want to go too much longer, but possibly you do, because uh, we do got to run. But um, but also if they're if they're cooking, but they need one more offensive piece to get over the hump that they think can help them make a run, a serious run. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's true. That's another scenario that comes into play where they're just they're just missing an ingredient. Like, mm, just add a little bit more garlic here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, then the last thing too, if Steph keeps this up, I think uh, I think he's going to be an MVP conversation for this season. Let's hope he can keep this up. I really want to see him uh, stick in that MVP conversation. That'd be awesome. And so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.